Good evening, it is 5 p.m. and you're tuned into Kingston Currents here on CFRC 11.9 FM. I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist, Christina Laurie, here to keep you up to date on all things Limestone local news. In this episode, we'll be getting into the approval funding for the Limestone City Cooperative Housing Project, featuring an interview with Councillor Jeff McLaren. After that, we'll be discussing the Girls' Summit, which took place on Friday, organized by Girls Inc. Limestone. Seed funding for Limestone City Cooperative Housing Incorporated, approved by City Council. The City of Kingston, through recommendations approved by Council on June 20th, has made up to $50,000 of seed funding available for the Limestone City Cooperative Housing Project. According to Councilor Jeff McLaren, the City's Council appointee to LCCH's Board of Directors, this funding will allow them to take the project to the next level. In order to apply to larger grants, the organization requires high-level documentation from professionals such as architects to determine the amount of funding required. However, without the money to hire those professionals at the beginning, the organization was unable to apply for substantial funding. However, with this seed funding, Limestone City Cooperative Housing will be able to retain an architect and professionals needed to obtain the reports to move the project forward. The goals LCCH is working towards include a building with up to 300 mixed income units. I sat down with Councillor Jeff McLaren to talk about this project and how the funding will help move it forward. We discussed several ways in which the building will promote community, wellness, and mental health through features of the structure itself and the encouragement of community fostering activities amongst residents and other community members. Councillor McLaren also discusses integrating several green features into the building. Without further delay, here's what Councillor Jeff McLaren has to say about the project. To start us off, would you like to introduce yourself and maybe give a bit of background on Limestone City Cooperative Housing? Certainly. So I'm Jeff McLaren. I am uh, the uh, chair of the board of the city of the Limestone City Cooperative Housing and the city council representative on the board. And uh, the background on the issue is that we've had a housing crisis now for ever. And uh, since I've been on the board, we've been pushing for co-ops. Uh, even before I, or sorry, before I got on council, I've been pushing for co-ops. Uh, Rob Hutchison, who's kind of my mentor, who was my mentor on council uh, for the first two terms, he's been pushing for co-ops for even longer than I have. And uh, this is the first council that uh, was very interested in pursuing this as one of the uh, tools that we have to increase the housing supply, as well as find, uh, I guess, um, some uh, lower priced housing as opposed to market housing. And uh, that's where it came through. Uh, so finally, we've got a group of people that are willing to support us. Awesome. Thank you for the background on that. And um, could you remind us again how much funding was approved this week? So $50,000, up to $50,000 to get the very basics uh, from professionals. So as we were looking over the grants while we were waiting for our incorporation to come through, we saw that uh, they won't take my word for it, I'm not a professional. So we need to have an architect give us high level plans of how much it's gonna cost, how many units are gonna be there and how many afford like rent gear to income housing we can afford given the other two parameters. Um, so once we have a professional that gives us those answers, uh, that's what the 50,000 is for, we can apply for the really large grants, the ones that will allow us to actually build, like <laughs> break ground and uh, build something. Absolutely. And you sort of got into it there, but just to dig a little deeper there, prior to receiving this funding, and you guys were in a situation that you described as a catch-22 because you needed professionals to secure their larger grants, but you didn't have the funds to hire a professional. So could you describe sort of where you were at prior to the approval of this funding? So um, we were getting excited. We were finding lists of uh, possible funding opportunities, and uh, there's small ones which we can get, and it takes time and all that. Um, 
and those will cover any difference that this 50,000 doesn't. So after talking to the city about this, like um, if we were to go this the slow, the slow way, um, it could be another year before we would have even enough funds to start. So in order, because it's a bit of a crisis, uh, the city agreed that um, we should speed this up as much as possible. So that's what the seed funding is for. It's uh, it, to put it in another metaphor, we, we were given the seeds to be able to build this instead of having to go out and buy the seeds to build this. Absolutely, yeah. And hiring an architect is one of your main goals and other experts. Of course, it's clear why an architect is generally needed for this project, but what are some of the ways that this hire would advance the project's goals and what else can these funds be used for? So uh, that's the main, arch an architect will be the main uh, the main professional. We're also interested in vertical farming um, and having major green components throughout this. So we want a green wall that public can access and we can grow say uh, strawberries or blueberries or basil or things like that. Um, we also want greenhouses on the roof. That'll be one of the last parts that we put in because we've identified retrofit grants that uh, will work for that. So we have to build first and then put the greenhouses on. Um, and since it's a community run thing, like a co-op means that everybody contributes some volunteer time a month, I'm thinking maybe four hours a month, that they will help create food security for people in Kingston as well as themselves. Because I, I, based on the amount of space we have and the preliminary talks we've had with uh, vertical farming experts, we're going to be producing more than we need. And so there's a food bank just down the road, uh, which will be one source of where we can produce extra. Um, the... So we know we're going to need a vertical farming expert to make sure, like, for example, HVAC systems in the vertical farming space are done properly uh, and how much space and room is going to be needed and what we can put in the space there. So they're going to have to work closely with the architect. Um, the architect will also tell us if there's going to be need for other professionals. So there's been some talk about the possibility of a hydrological study because there is a uh, stream that goes through the property and there's a big rock sort of half underground. Um, those kind of things... Uh, the architect can give us a sense of that as well. Great. I know your long-term goals include erecting a building with up to 300 mixed income units, but would you like to get more into that long-term yeah. goal and describe a bit about what your plan looked like for this project so far? Certainly. So the idea is that um, uh, when we build a thing, we're going to know how much it's going to cost to build it. The architect will like itemize pretty much everything that goes into the building. And with everything that comes itemized, there'll be a life cycle for it. So we're hoping... Um, just for the, for the sake of easy calculations, that the building is going to last 100 years and various mm -hmm. parts of it will, um, like say faucets, have to be replaced every 10 or 20 or 30 years. Once we figure out all of that, we can figure out the sustaining cost of the building in perpetuity. So if, say the total cost is say um, 100, well, just for simple reasons, $100,000 uh, over 100 years, and then you amortize that over that 100 years, that's the sustaining cost of the building. Mm -hmm. Um, we suspect that that number is significantly below the market rate right now. Those who are um, those who can pay above the sustainable rate and something say close to the market rate will subsidize those who cannot meet the minimum sustainable rate. And so uh, those and we suspect that everybody will be below the market rate. So there will be there's a cost of running the building in perpetuity. So we're not talking about like, what is the cost for say to run it this month or this year? Uh, we're talking about the cost of replacing the entire building at the end of its life cycle. Mm -hmm. Whatever that cost is, people who pay above that because they can afford to, say that's 30% of their income is above that, uh, will help that surplus there will be used to offset the cost from people who cannot meet that because of their income being 30%, 30% of their income being 
somewhat lower than that sustainable cost. The idea is that if we can identify the costs over the lifetime of the building, we can have a much more secure idea of what it's going to run on each each month for the next hundred years. Mm, absolutely. And as for the actual building of the building, would you like to discuss some of the plans that you have so far? Right now, you're, of course, still in the process of hiring architects and imagining yes. what it'll look like and where it'll be. But um, if you'd like to give some details on that, that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. So one of the things that uh, I've been reading a lot on architecture and one of the things is biophilic design that takes into account our human evolutionary history. So as an example, um, people throughout history seem to have wanted to climb a high area, look around like where they're living, a high area, look around and then reference that whenever they are around the area. Church steeples have done that uh, in medieval times and, and throughout history as well, and minarets and other cultures. So part of what uh, helps people feel at home, feel comfortable, is if they can get onto the roof, look around, and then see the roof from wherever it is on the street. So um, one of the things I'm hoping that the architect will be able to let us afford is to put, say, a gazebo on a functional roof on top of the elevator shaft, which is usually the thing that sticks up above all the other buildings in the, in, around here. If you ever see, they have a pretty flat roof, and then they have a little thing that sticks up. That's where the elevator shaft is. It just needs to be higher uh, than the rest of the building. So if we can do that, we can uh, we can support that notion that brings sort of a comfort, a feeling of refuge, and a feeling of home to people who live there and as they're going there and as they look around. Another thing that was mentioned um, is uh, running water is an extremely calming and um, affirming kind of thing for people. If you don't hear the running water on a regular basis, um, it leads to more anxiety. So if we can have in the courtyard a small fountain with a very, very shallow pool, because apparently um, water splashing on water is more relaxing and more interesting for people than splashing on rocks, but water is better in either case. So little things like that that I've been reading about are things that we want to present to the architect and say, this is kind of what we want in the building. Additional to that is the agricultural aspect. So greenhouses on the roof, vertical farming and a green wall. Um, having also read a little bit of Jane Jacobs, uh, she talks about the ballet of the street and how to integrate the street life um, along like the pedestrian, like the sidewalks with the building. And there, she's got a few suggestions for that, which we're also gonna take to the architect. So the hope is that the building will be incredibly comfortable for people. They'll feel like it's home because of all this, all the cues and all the things that are built into the building that are designed to calm people based on our evolutionary biology. That's awesome that you guys are taking into account these more psychological impacts um, of the building. You got into it there, but could you do a little deep dive on some of the green features that you guys are looking to incorporate here? Yes. Uh, so we've been looking at several um, companies that provide um, vertical farming and uh, one of the things that we definitely do not want is a monocrop because people get very tired of say lettuce. It's very easy to make lettuce, but um, what we're hoping to do is have a variety of, of fruits and vegetables within that. Uh, and that's part of our goal. So we don't want everybody to have lettuce every day of the year. <laughs> we would like a variety of that. And um, we're also looking for a labor intensive vertical farm because part of the, the benefit of a co-op uh, is that we have volunteer hours that everybody has to come up with. So um, just a basic calculation, if, if we do get 300 and there's an average of uh, two pe two adults per unit, um, that gives us about 80 volunteer hours per day and to work on the farm or various other things. And uh, that strikes me as, um, well, it's going to be a labor intensive farm, so we can have at least 80 hours of work on it every day. 
Um, and if we can do that, that's a lot of produce that we can grow. So we are looking to have fruit, vegetables. So one of the things that everybody seems to love is strawberries, blueberries. And if you can pick them, so much the better. That also can be grown on the green wall. So one of the things that um, in order to maintain, um, to avoid overlook. So adjacent to the property are, are houses that are between one and a half stories and two and a half stories. Uh, the law in Kingston is that you can't have overlooks. You can't have something that's like three stories uh, that can look over into the, your neighbor's yard and through their windows. But if we put the vertical farm along those edges of the wall, we have just a blank wall. Uh, that's allowed, but it's kind of boring. So one of the things we're thinking is what can we use with that space? And that's where a vertical wall comes in. So you can grow um, low hanging, not low hanging, I guess, uh, stuff that, that like vines <laughs> that can grow up. So strawberries apparently can be grown very well on that. Blueberries, basil are the top three that we've seen. Um, so we can actually have community access to uh, blueberry picking and strawberry picking seasons along that wall. And then the other time, it's not dense concrete. It looks sort of like it, it'll be green. It'll be something growing there and it'll be sort of planty uh, and moving in the in the. Oh, that's another thing that I've been hearing. Apparently people love uh, fractal patterns and the kind of patterns that you see in plants. So if you see a lot of them and you see them sort of moving with the wind kind of stuff, that's a very, uh, it's psychologically very pleasing phenomenon for people. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, sorry. So that's two, that's two of them. Uh, so that's the green wall, the um, the vertical farming. Um, so part of the retrofits that we'll do is put green is uh, greenhouses on the roof. So uh, just the way that, that the sun goes on that, the part of the green wall or the green roof, or sorry, the greenhouses will not necessarily be as effective in growing things, but they can hold chickens. And chickens help make manure as well as provide eggs for the people. But that's that's further down the road. We're going to actually change the chicken bylaw in uh, Kingston. And um, but it's um, we have a vertical. We have an expert in farming who grew up on a farm, and uh, she's been giving us a lot of. We can do this. We can do this. And so we're in a sense overwhelmed with all the options and the possibilities. But that one struck me as kind of interesting that we can actually put eggs in. We can have sorry chickens in a greenhouse that help produce the manure and that soil for the vertical farm. Uh, as well as provide eggs for the community. Once again, you sort of touched on this, both in your description of the psychologically beneficial aspects of the building, as well as the gardens, but how will this help foster a community as well? So, uh, yeah, common cause. Um, so what we're doing is we're trying to provide an, uh, a new, well, provide an additional ideal, ideal that people can add to their lives. So uh, it is going to be a requirement of the co-op that you have to donate a certain amount of time. It doesn't mean that you have to work on a farm. There are other things like there's definitely cleaning that can be done. But we're also going to have space for, um, I guess, entrepreneurial people who want to do something within the co-op. So such as yoga exercises or training or education, that kind of stuff. There will be spaces for that. Um, the community, we're going to be trying to pick people who, are, who want this other ideal, this ideal of um, green self-producing food for themselves in a lower environment. This will be that. This will sort of help the flourishing of people because cost of living will be down, food security will be up, and it'll be green in the sense that we're going to be producing our own food. So the carbon footprint of that will be much lower than going to any grocery store. Uh, so if people share that ideal, that brings them together in common cause, and there will be a regular a regular benefit that they can see in their own pocketbooks and on their own dinner tables. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is a really cool project and congratulations on securing that funding that you need to apply to additional grants and get some experts on board. Um, What are the next few things on the docket for you? What are the next challenges you guys will be facing? So right now, uh, uh, we've also been reading how to hire an architect. So we're going to be essentially sending out a request for proposals um, to as many architects as we can find uh, locally, of course. And uh, then there's a, there's a, there's several that are specializing in vertical farming and building around vertical farming. So um, they may be further afield. So we're putting this all together. So those mentioned, those things I mentioned about the psychological benefits of having certain things, uh, we're cataloging all of those that we can find um, and just coming up with a vision. So it's a point of getting that together. And we figure within the next two, maybe three weeks at the latest, we'll have a proposal ready to send, sorry, not a proposal, a request for a proposal document ready to send out to architects. And then we'll be um, essentially interviewing them. Where can folks keep up with this project? So the website is www.lcch.ca. We'll be putting everything we can on that as as, uh, the news comes in. Once again, that was Councillor Jeff McLaren on the Limestone City Cooperative Housing Project. To keep up with this project or learn more, you can head to lcch.ca. Girls Inc. Limestone held their Girls Summit on Friday, June 30th at St. Lawrence College Event and Banquet Center in Kingston. This year's summit welcomed 125 girls with a full day of skill building and empowering activities. Girls Inc. Limestone is a nonprofit organization that provides life-changing programs and experiences to help girls navigate gender, economic, and social barriers. They develop research-based curricula delivered by trained professionals to equip girls to discover and develop their inherent strengths and receive ongoing programming to grow up healthy, educated, and independent. This year's summit is the second of its kind, with the first summit occurring in 2019 before being on hiatus due to COVID-19. Registration for this year's event filled in just one week, with a 60% increase in registration compared to the pre-COVID summit. Girls from across the region were treated to an exciting full day of skill building and empowering activities, including hands-on workshops aimed at encouraging interest in STEM fields, building leadership skills, and boosting overall confidence. With the help of individual donations and community sponsors, there was no cost for girls to attend. Workshop leaders from Canadian Black Belt Centers, Malpi Center, and Sherlock's Escapes provided exciting and empowering workshops in the areas of healthy physical activity, interpersonal relationships, and creative problem solving. I sat down with Justine Marchand, the Girls Ed Programming Manager at Girls Inc. Limestone, at the event on Friday while the girls had their martial arts and self-defense workshop to chat about Girls Inc., the summit, and the event's importance. Here's what Justine had to say. like to introduce yourself and maybe talk a little bit about Girls Inc. Yes, so my name is Justine Marchand. I am the Girls Ed Program Manager at Girls Inc. Limestone. We have locations in Kingston and in Belleville. We serve all of KFLNA and all of H&PE. We focus in kind of three main areas. We have our Girls Ed Department, which is what you're getting to experience right now. In our Girls Ed Department, we serve girls in grades 1 to 12, um, or age 6 to 18. Um, with free programs and services that are designed to help encourage all girls to be strong, smart, and bold. I can tell you a little bit about that uh, later. Um, We also have employment programming. Um, So young women and um, as well as non-binary people or people who feel that they belong in a program geared towards women um, can join programs that we have to help remove barriers to employment and independence. 
And then we also have some emergency support capacity that we uh, that allows us to provide one-time economic supports to women and families who are in need of like a boost economically. And you said you were going to get into the Strong, Smart, and Bold. So Strong, Smart, and Bold can be broken down into some kind of easier to understand categories. So Strong, for example, is physical health, physical wellness, healthy lifestyle. So this is actually our strong activity for the day. Um, It's a martial arts and self-defense workshop. So this goes perfectly with our Strong. So they're up, they're running, they're learning to make good physical choices, stuff like that. Um, In that category, like I said, we might also do like some nutrition talk, just making healthy choices for your lifestyle. Smart is our academic enrichment category. So we might do homework help. We might um, work on STEM activities. So science, technology, engineering, and math activities. Um, That's what our smart stuff is geared towards. And our smart activity today is a Sherlock's escapes, build your own escape room. So lots of problem solving, team thinking, stuff like that. And then bold focuses on um, independence. So a lot of budgeting, economic literacy, um, teaching our participants how to make good choices with money, how to understand the meaning of money, the value of money. Also, we have activities where they might design a business and think about all of the different components of that. Um, And our bold activity today is run by the Maltby Center and they are doing an empowerment program. So they're talking about all the different ways that girls can be bold in their lives and empower one another to have like a powerful group of friends and to have a lot of self-confidence and stuff like that. Awesome, you guys offer such well-rounded programming. And also, I believe this is the first one you're running since COVID, is that right? Yeah, so we did our first girls summit was in 2019 for 75 girls. And it was really great. It was held at the Tet Center. Um, and it was the same kind of thing, three workshops in, in the strong, smart, and bold categories. It went really well. And then our next annual one <laughs> was canceled for COVID and again and again. And so, yes, this is our first time back um, since things were closed down for COVID. So we're really excited. This year, we were able to increase the girls, the number of girls that we're serving. So it's 125 today. Yeah, 125. That's a 60% increase. Yeah, right. That's, that's right. Awesome. Is yeah. that really exciting for you guys? It's really exciting. Um, not just to find a venue that could allow us to do that increase, but also um, in 2019, I think that our list, our registrations filled in like six business days or something for the 75 people that we had spaces for. Um, and we had the exact same thing happen this year, even though it was a 60% increase in numbers. So that tells us that everything that we've learned. Um, during COVID, which is that the issues of equity and access that girls and women face are not only not only continue, but they have gotten worse during COVID. We're seeing that with all of the families we serve, that there's more struggles economically, um, more struggles socially, um, and more struggles with mental health. Um, we're seeing that in all of our groups, and uh, and I think the fact that we had such a strong turnout again this year so quickly, it confirms that these programs are really needed, mm-hmm. um, and that I, I think we're out here doing the right thing. Yeah, it's awesome that you guys are offering this programming for girls to get involved, thank and you. that you're having such an amazing turnout this year. Yeah, thank you. I mean, this is only the second year running it, and you yes. have such a long break, but yes. what have you changed since that first year? Well, like we both 
acknowledged we've increased the numbers um our goal always is to and part of our strategic plan is always to serve more and reach more families so we're always because all of our programs and services are free for all girls and women um we don't ask any questions about income or anything everybody gets the same program and service for free because while we do target um we do make sure that we target neighborhoods or create programming that is accessible to neighborhoods where maybe people are more economically disadvantaged. We also know um, that girls at every income bracket experience inequity. Um, and so increasing the number of kids that we could serve with this this year was a huge goal for us and it remains part of our strategic plan going forward. I mean, really, we didn't change much else from our first one. For That was a big step, just increasing our numbers and making sure that we had enough people um, in the community supporting us to make that happen, and we do. Shout out to, like, Maltby and Sherlock's Escapes and Canadian Black Belt Centers. They've provided these workshops free of charge today. That's They've fantastic. donated their time and their expertise just to teach these kids um, what they can, and, and that's that's incredible for us. Yeah. And we're watching the martial arts workshop right yeah. now. They're doing an awesome job. How's yeah. the rest of the day been so far? We're only about halfway through. But yeah, <laughs> so great. So this is our second out of the three workshop rounds. Um, everybody seems warmed up and happy. Um, obviously, with the first workshop of the day, you never know how all the kids are going to, if they're going to be shy and, and a little bit nervous. Everybody's been jumping in with two feet. Um, so uh, I don't know if it's being surrounded by all of their peers um, or what, but everybody seems happy, confident, and just ready to, to do it. Amazing, and yeah. I'm so glad you offered this programming. That was all the questions I had, so thank you so much thank for your you. time. I just want to clarify a lot of the time, because of our name, mm -hmm. we do speak about our participants as girls, but our definition of girls or who we serve are kids who identify as girls or tell us that they belong in a, a girls' program. We're not concerned with really anything else, so I just want to be clear that basically, if a kid shows up at our program and says this is where they belong, they're one of us and they're in, and, and that's it. In our written literature we use a plus sign to indicate that now but when we're speaking out loud it's a little bit hard and sometimes we say the long um the phrase of like girls and non-binary youth mm -hmm. and trans youth and uh you know gender impacted people um but just to just to say that we don't really exclude anybody thank you for clarifying yeah. that's awesome once again, that was Justine Marchand, the Girls Ed Program Manager at Girls Inc. Limestone at the Girls Summit on Friday. That is all things current in Kingston for this week. Thank you for listening to CFRC's local news programming, brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next.